Hey, I'm Fred. And I'm Ant. And this is Creator Generation. We take you inside the minds of the world's top video creators and experts to share their tips and stories from working on the world's biggest video platform. Hi, Fred. What is happening this week? This week, we are chatting with Jim Lauderback, who is the GM of VidCon, the uh, world's biggest online video event and fan fest. I brought a 60-foot mechanical shark to, I think, the fourth VidCon. <laughs> and we had creators do crazy things with the mechanical shark because it had mechanical jaws. Remember, I just even her iPhone. She brought her iPhone in and we had the shark crush it. Um, <laughs> had- yeah, and Jim is also pretty OG when it comes to online video, right? Yeah, Jim has been in online video since the very beginning. But he is still the most enthusiastic and excited person in the space. Yeah, we love hanging out with Jim. So we sat down and asked Jim what it's like to work with the biggest creators in the world, what went wrong with multi-channel networks, and shine a bit of light on what the future might hold there. And Jim also answers some questions from the creator community. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. All right, Jim Lauderback. Welcome to Creator Generation. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. All right, Jim, why don't you tell us who the hell you are, because I'm going to do a terrible job of it. So I am a GM of an on, a series of online video events called VidCon. VidCon is basically three events in one. It's a, a B2B summit. It's a very creator-led uh, set of workshops and things like that, very much similar to what you guys do, but in a sort of festival atmosphere. And then Fans, a fan track where fans and their favorite creators get together and sort of share their love for each other through meet and greets and performances and things like that. So I run that and we do events in Anaheim, California, Melbourne, Australia, and uh, London and, you know, more to come. And how did you get involved with VidCon? I was running one of the early online video networks in the early days of YouTube called Revision 3. And um, a couple years in, we, um, Hank and John Green, we got to know them and these are the guys who started VidCon. And they said, yeah, we're going to start this event. It's 2010. We're going to actually get people together in, in real world, meet space. And I'd done stuff with events previously in my career. And I was like, that's a great idea. So spoke at the first one, sponsored the first four or five of them. Um, actually, uh, in the uh, uh, I'd sold my company to Discovery while that was going on. And I, I brought a 60-foot mechanical shark to, I think, the fourth VidCon. Because <laughs> it was Shark Week. Shark Week. Right. And we had creators do crazy things with the mechanical shark because it had mechanical jaws. So um, uh, remember, I just even her iPhone. She brought her iPhone in and we had the shark crush it. Um, <laughs> we had, I think Phil DeFranco, we, we crushed uh, the couch from SourceFed. Remember the SourceFed yeah, couch? Yeah, yeah. yeah, we crushed the SourceFed couch with the 60-foot mechanical shark. So anyway, I did all that. I was involved with VidCon. And then after I left Discovery, um, I had a non-compete, so I couldn't go back and work in media for a year, but I could work events. And so I called up Hank. I was like, Hank, the VidCon thing's great. That industry track, that B2B thing that you're doing could be better. You want some help? And he, and he at, that was the year that we launched the creator track, the track that is very focused on helping creators learn how to um, you know, how to, how to grow their, what they want to do, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera. And he said, yeah, we're starting the creator track. How'd you like to come around the industry track? And I was like, yeah, sounds like fun. I'll do that for a year. Three years later, I was still doing it. And um, at that point, uh, Hank and John had grown the company a fair bit. And they'd reached this this point in this this kind of fulcrum, this kind of pivot point where they realized they could either, you know, stay as this single event and just and just ride it out or get investment and really take it around the world or sell it. And so Hank um, and his dad actually came to me and said, do you want to be CEO uh, of the company and help us sell it? And I was like, again, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything else except running the industry track. (laughs) Sure. It sounds like fun. And so four months later, we were sold to the big media company Viacom. So now we're part of Viacom and and now I'm just the general manager of VidCon because the CEO of Viacom, Bob Backish, said that there could only be one CEO at the company and it wasn't going to be me. (laughs) (laughs) So for the uh, the listeners who don't know what Viacom does, they own Paramount and MTV. Mm-hmm. And Comedy Central and Nickelodeon and BET and a lot of other things. They're big. Very yeah, they're, big. They're one of the top media companies in the world. And you can tell because they're based in a huge 55-story tower in Times Square in New York. <laughs> That's all Viacom. That's when you know you've made it. <laughs> you know, I never really, and I lived in New York for eight years, but I never really realized this. When you're on the top floor of, uh, or, you know, the top floors of a 55-story building in New York, and it's really windy, <laughs> it moves. Yeah. It sways. Yeah. It's really weird. So, 
Which anyway. is why you don't work out of that building. No, I, I, I still work out of my house in San Francisco. I think I'm the only Viacom employee in San Francisco. VidCon itself is based in Montana, which for those of you who aren't familiar with U.S. geography is, um, if you think about where Seattle is in the Pacific Northwest, you just go east about, I don't know, 1,000 kilometers or 800 kilometers or something like that. It's like horse country and big skies. And- it's big sky. It's mountains. There's some of the most beautiful mountains in the world are there. Um, prairies, bears. Um, wolves, you know, it's, it's, it's raw. And home to the world's biggest video conference. Biggest, biggest online video conference, <laughs> VidCon, exactly. Cool. So, I mean, where did you start in, in the online video journey? So I, um, I mean, on, on the media side in general, um, I, I was a, I actually got out of school as a computer programmer. So I used to build computer systems and databases and things like that. And I started writing about what I was doing uh, and ended up getting a job at um, computer magazines, PC Week, and then PC Magazine was editor-in-chief. When I was uh, running a bunch of stuff at PC Magazine, well, helped launch a television cable network about technology in um, 98, 99, did that till about 2002 when things went south a little bit there and went went back to PC Magazine and took, there, there was a new device that came out that I saw, I think in 2003 or 2004, called the TriCaster. And this, um, when it first came out, it was it was basically a PC running Windows, but it would allow you to multi to have three different cameras, live switch between them, and stream over the internet. This seems sort of basic right now, but in 2003, it was a breakthrough. And I saw that, and I was like, we could do everything we did at that TV network that we had hundreds of people employed with four people. Two hosts, a producer, and an operator running the TriCaster. And so we did. So really the beginnings for me of online video were taking the TriCaster in 2003 and taking a couple of the hosts that I'd worked with at ZDTV, Tech TV, and saying, come on over. We're not going to have all those people. I'm not going to have makeup. I'm not going to have craft services. But we're going to do exactly what we did but stream it on the Internet. And, you know, there were its ups and downs. It was a first-generation product. It had its problems. We... Definitely figured out a lot of the operating model, which took some time. But that was the beginning for me of getting involved with online video. And subsequently, like five years after that, four or five years after that, a couple of guys that I worked with at Tech TV had started two companies um, and raised some money for them. One of them called Dig. Remember Dig? Mm-hmm. Dig was like going all through the roof. It was growing like crazy. And the other one was this online video network called Revision 3. And they all... The guy who started the company was like, we got to go spend time over here on Dig because it's this great opportunity. We need someone to come run Revision 3. We got a couple of people over there. We got a couple shows. We think it's going to be big. And I'm like, yeah, you have enough money so that we can actually make it big. So in 2007, I went over and um, became CEO of Revision 3 and built it into a big, one of the early big online video networks where we started out mostly on iTunes with video podcasting. And then it's like we went and as YouTube started to ascend, we became a 100% YouTube network. And early, one of the multi-channel networks where we had, you know, 100, 150 or so creators that were part of our network. That was not the best business model in the world, but managed to sell it to Discovery. So um, anyway, that was the that's the sort of the journey from the beginnings to kind of the the middle. Interesting about the, the networks you talk about, like the uh, MCNs. Um, and MCN has come a, become a bit of a, a dirty word mm-hmm. amongst creators. Um what are your thoughts about MCNs? Well, well, my thoughts about the MCNs now are they're bad businesses and that most likely they aren't great for creators. But most MCNs have morphed from sort of the traditional multi-channel network where you are aligned with it to maybe a talent agent or other areas like that. But the early days of the MCN, YouTube actually encouraged companies to do it and to sign creators up because they frankly didn't have enough people to manage. I mean, all these creators were jumping out and they had 100,000, 200,000, a million followers YouTube didn't have the staff to take care of them. So they said, look, you guys go work with Revision 3 or Maker or Full Screen uh, or Style Hall or a bunch of the early MCNs because, frankly, they're going to give you support and we can't. Mm. And then a year or two later, they're like, that was a dumb idea. <laughs> uh, and, they, and they took you know a lot of it back and then they did pretty much everything they could do to sort of ruin the business model that they had actually tacitly helped create. What do you think went wrong with the multi-channel network? Oh, it's it, it it's trying to make well a couple different things, but basically the promise of coming to a multi-channel network was that we would sell advertising, we'll do a better job for you than YouTube, we'll get you more money, we'll give you more support, you can work with other creators just like you. 
The problem is, is that on the monetization side, YouTube never really set it up so that it actually, for a multi-channel network, they would actually make enough money, even if they did a great job selling. Like we, we at Revision Three, we there's in-show sponsorship models where the creator talks about, you know, Netflix or Audible or stuff like that. We pioneered that. Um, I mean, it's it's been in media since the '50s and television, but we pioneered it in online video. And we even, I think we were the only ones that had written in our contract that we could do that. Mm. Um, and still YouTube tried to shut us down a couple times because they <laughs> realized that we, we were doing things that their salespeople couldn't in ways that they couldn't. And we were taking money away from them. So monetization, it ended up that um, you'd bring people in and you'd say, okay, we're going to take 20% of your ad revenue, but it's going to be a lot more for you. Well, that did not ever work. Mm. And then as creators got bigger, the power shifted from the networks to the creators and the creators were able to go, the big ones said, Hey, you want me part of your network? I am a big deal. It's going to be a million dollars a year, $2 million a year or whatever. Like we had Epic mealtime. If you remember them, yeah. Um, really early on, one of the guys that I worked with sort of discovered them, went up to Montreal and talked to them and really helped build them up, um, brought in a bunch of production models. And so for about two years, maybe a little bit less, I don't know, but anyway, the, they were part of our network. We grew with them. It was great. And then another MCN that will, you know, remain nameless swooped in and offered them oodles of cash that we didn't have to come over there. Wow. Um, it didn't end up working out for them, um, but they did get the cash up front, which was nice. And so the model of doing that, there's some creators made some money because they got all this upfront payment, but the MCNs themselves could never recoup that because they just couldn't get enough revenue to be able to pay that. So in the end, you ended up in a business model where um, you paid a dollar out for every view to a, cre- to a bunch of creators and you made back 90 cents. And that math doesn't work. Mm. So that's why the MCNs tended to shift to business models that work. Like the ones that, you know, I remember talking to um, to Dan Weinstein at Studio 71, which is one of the few remaining sort of MCNs. Um, back, you know, around when I was selling to Discovery, and he was like, yeah, we know we're, we're, we're all in, we're doing, and because they came from the talent world, we're doing this sort of 360 stuff, we're going to provide talent and all these services and, and career management and all that, and I looked and I said, I just want to be a network, I just want to, like, you know, find great content and build great audiences and put it out there, I don't want to be a talent, I don't want us to be talent managers. Turns out he was right. I mean, for them, for a sustainable business model that worked in the MCN world, you basically became the sort of hybrid of agent manager mm. for creators. So if that was then, what's the, the new MCN or the new support system for a, a creator look like? Um, I, you know, it's, it's a couple of different things because in part it's find a good manager or, or uh, find a good manager and agent if you're big enough that they're interested in working with you who mm-hmm. can help shape your career. Um, don't have them, don't be part of their network, but do, you know, the 10% or 15% or whatever agents and managers take. Um, and... Because the monetization side back in the early days of online video was primarily advertising, mm. it was very much of an advertising model where it's like a CPM. You get 20 bucks for every thousand views and then this person takes this piece. But now that there is a very diverse monetization landscape, so yes, advertising is a piece of it. But if you're relying 100% on advertising, you are doing yourself a disservice because there's so many other ways to make money from touring. You see a lot of creators touring these days. Two books. Last time I, had, I last time I saw you guys, I was in Melbourne um, in November, and you know Georgia Productions was actually in town. I didn't even know. I was like, I landed uh, on Sunday night, and she, early in the day, she'd been at somewhere in Melbourne, you know, doing a book thing, and all these people were there. I was like, that's so awesome. Um, there's Patreon, which is uh, um, there are um, many, many other ways to make money as a creator, and having somebody to help you with that and manage that can be a really, really good thing. Yeah. So it, yeah. No, go ahead. I was gonna say, it, it's interesting because so many creators are still fixated on ad revenue mm-hmm. from from YouTube. That that's all they can think about. And when they chat to us, they're like, "Oh, you know, how do I, you know, maximize ad revenue?" They don't think about all the other aspects that could make up your revenue streams. Yeah, and things like Patreon are easy. Like if you have committed fans, and you structure it so that, and it's not just saying, "Please give me a dollar a month. I would love you forever." It's more, what are the benefits that I can give you? Whether it's early access to content or it's a weekly or monthly private chat with me and just the other patrons, um, or is it a special T-shirt, or whatever those things are, that creates real value for the people that love you most or that, are so, that, that love your content and what you do most. 
And there's value that I actually think there's value not just for independent creators, but there's value for big media companies. Yeah. I've had this discussion at, at uh, Viacom with um, the folks that run some of the um, online video. I'm like, we should do Patreon. They're like, well, no, we're Viacom. Why would we do that? I'm like, why wouldn't you? Mm. So uh, it hasn't worked yet. <laughs> but uh, I do think these the multiple monetization schemes are absolutely how creators need to put it together. The other thing that's going on, though, is that it's more than just YouTube. So online video is moving just like every other media have has done. Media is plural. Every, all of those things have done, um, have gone from um, broad to narrow, um, mass market to more targeted market. And I think we see that happening with online video, both on the content side and on the platform side. So think about magazines. I mean, the U.S., early days of magazines, we had Life, Look, Saturday Evening Post, and then we ended up with magazines about things like PCs, like PC Magazine that I ran. Uh, And the same thing in radio. Radio before TV had, you know, big shows that were dramas and comedies. And and then now it's just, you know, talk radio, whatever it is. It's all different sort of interests. Sports radio and this radio and that radio. Um, Television as well. Television went from a couple of key networks. You had, um, you know, ABC and Nine and things like that. And now you've got MTV, Comedy Central, country music television, VH1, so many of them. And we see that, I see the same thing happening with online video. So on the platform side, you've got YouTube. Um, but now we've got many, many other platforms that offer different opportunities depending on the type of creator you are and what you want to do. And mm. you can certainly use a couple of them or you can find the ones you like. That's like there's some creators that just don't make sense on YouTube but that are great for LinkedIn. Mm. And LinkedIn really focused on business and business influencers and mentors and um, their creators doing a great job there that probably aren't, probably wouldn't be right for YouTube, or maybe they're doing some stuff on YouTube and other stuff on LinkedIn. And some of the monetization models around advertising are slow on, whether it's Instagram or Twitch or blah, 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 blah. Um, but there are opportunities to do things around merchandise and selling things. And so, I mean, online video in many ways is becoming um, a transactional medium. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm going to rat hold this for a minute because I thought this was really interesting. We, um, diving. Yeah, I'm done. We have head first. So Pinterest is um, they, they were at VidCon in the U.S. last year, and they're coming back again this year. We actually have their CMO there this year. But I was reading about um, one of the co-founders of, of Pinterest was talking about what's important to them from a video view, and so we we're all conditioned. We've been in this business for a long time. It's like it's all about views and about CPM, cost per thousand views, and engagement, and all, and they're like, no, that's not a, a video view to us is not valuable. In the, in the dollars we can get for every 1,000 views. It's not valuable to us in the amount of time people spend watching because we can serve more ads, which is where YouTube is going. What's valuable to us are the things that they do, the actions they take, and the things that they buy. And so for them, the value of a video view is very different from the value of a video view on YouTube or Facebook or others. And it's interesting. We see Instagram becoming more shoppable video as well. And so the value of a video view on Instagram can be more attributed to the amount of revenue that you generate through the things that you sell versus the advertising. So that switch from valued by eyeballs and ads and traditional media to valued around buying is really interesting, and I I don't think it's going to go away. So long way around when you think about what an MCN needs to do um, and what works now is somebody who's focused on how do I take advantage of the different monetization opportunities – and help you do it in a way that works and maximizes revenue for everybody. So there's another thing, by the way, on the on the um, going from mass media to targeted. Um, it's not just to the platforms, um, but it's also to content categories. So the early days of online video was YouTube was like vloggers and, and music. Now we see so many different categories. Like we're doing um, animation clearly has been a big deal. And we see this in the U.S. and also Australia. So we've got, you know, a lot of the key folks like Jaden and some others are, are um, odd ones out. We're here last year. Um, you know, those folks that are that are basically vlogging through animation, which is really interesting, like Jazza and some others, we'll be bringing them back to Australia this year. Um, but those are really big, um, big verticals. But like in the U.S., for the first time, um, we're doing a pet vertical. Mm-hmm. Celebrity pets, right? Mm. I mean, okay, the pets aren't going to talk, um, <laughs> but their owners will. And so we've teamed up with the Dodo. You guys know the Dodo, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we've teamed up with the Dodo in the U.S. to do a, a, a pet vertical. And... Then there's family and kid fluencers and sports and food and um, and travel and adventure. I mean, here in Australia, travel and adventure is huge. Um, 
there's DIY, there's, uh, I mean, I could go on and on, but there are a lot of these more, you know, smaller niche categories that are driving great experiences, great response and great value. And as a creator, it's no longer, I'm just going to sit in my bedroom and vlog. You think about like, what am I passionate about and who am I? And what are the areas that I think I really want to get into and how do I find the right platform to do that and the right spaces and the other creators that are similar that I can work together with? I mean, we, we, we bang on to every creator we talk to exactly about that. Like we call it the guinea pig protocol. I don't know, Jim, if you've okay, the guinea pig to protocol. The, have you been exposed to the guinea pig protocol from, from our, like, I don't remember if we've talked about that. I think you. we talked about guinea pigs last night, but I think it was in the consumption mode. Uh, yeah, that was, that was more about eating guinea pigs, which yeah. is very, very different. I'm sure that's not what you're talking no, about. No, 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 no. This is more a cute, <laughs> fluffy guinea pig, but Fred probably, tell, yeah, tell uh, yeah. Jim the quick guinea pig protocol. It, it's sort of how we explain the, the idea of passion. Um, driving down the highway one evening and stuck in traffic and I was reading the bumper stickers because I was bored and one bumper sticker said, you can't buy love, but you can buy a guinea pig and that's the next best thing. And I was like, wow, that person must, you know, love guinea pigs to put that kind of sticker on the car. And, and you know, so I think how does, you know, if you love guinea pigs that much, where do you go for your fill of guinea pig related love, right? And you start to think, well, that's how YouTube is so great. You can tap into that passion, right? So if you love guinea pigs and someone else loves guinea pig and someone else loves guinea pig, you can create this community of guinea pig lovers and access them all over the world. So what was once a small niche that was completely unserved by traditional media is now completely viable through online video and YouTube. Yeah, and then you can sell bumper stickers. And yeah. you can sell bumper stickers. <laughs> People yeah. think we're, 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 but it's we're true. full of it when You're we right. show that. But we show that example. and when that, we, we pull up guinea pig loving yeah. YouTube page, pages. sites. And there's channels that have hundreds of thousands of subscribes, hundreds of thousands of views for things like uh, 10 signs your guinea pig loves you yeah or um music like eight hour long playlists so to, to, soothe, to anxious, soothe your anxious, your, your anxious, anxious guinea, guinea pig, pig yeah. yeah because you know they've seen your travel snaps from south america yeah. but they're but anxious it, about being dinner but, but yeah it's um it's it, it, niche upon niche like you know it's no longer i'm a fishing channel right it's like well what's your you know what what are you passionate about fishing it's like fly fishing you know for Okay, so I want to yeah. see your company T-shirt next time I see you guys that has a picture of a guinea pig and says, unleash your inner, inner guinea pig. <laughs> well, we, 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 do ha- have we have a guinea, guinea pig T-shirt. t-shirt. Do you? Nice. Yeah, I love it. it we'll, hook you, we'll hook you up. <laughs> I had no idea you guys were so guinea pig focused. Last night <laughs> we were talking about it. Now we're talking. No, but, it, but it's true. And, and the nice thing, and I, you know, when I talk to, to brands um, and talk about how do you find creators that are aligned with your brand, you know, the first thing you need to do is figure out what your keywords are and then go into YouTube because, you know, on the YouTube search bar, you put it in. It'll come up with a whole list of things around those keywords. Uh, and, you know, whatever it is, it's a great way for brands to find out people that are aligned to them, but also for creators to find people that are aligned with their interests. So cool. And, you know, the power of, of, of the digital Internet world that we have is that everybody in the world is connected to everybody else who wants to be on there. So every guinea pig lover can find every other guinea pig lover in the world or Whatever your passion is, whatever those things are. Exactly. Love it. Switching gears for a second. Um, you, through VidCon, have been able to work with some of the biggest and best creators in the world. You know, the, the, the Greens, you know, Casey Neistat, all those guys who've, who've um, been part of the event. What's it like? Like, what is that high level of creator like to work with? Well, I think it's hard to say it's like one thing because just like, People are all different. There are, um, if you think of, and I think there are like 350, maybe close to 400 creators that are on YouTube that have more than 10 million subscribers. I mean, it's channels. But you look at some of them and they're just, they're dreams. They're, they're, they're great to work with. They're wonderful. They are intelligent, funny, and, um, and smart, and, um, you know, egoless, and just just great. And then, you know, there are others that, you know, um, it can be a little bit more difficult to work with. And that's, I think that's just natural. I mean, I've seen this in television as well. I think that there are more natural, authentic, real, nice people in online video in part because of the way that they became big. Mm. They all started out at zero. You know, every single creator woke up one day and said, I'm going to go create a YouTube channel or I'm going to go on Snap or Twitch and I have zero followers and zero fans, and I built it up one by one, 10 by 10, 100 by 100. And that um, that gives you a much closer direct connection with your audience, which in many ways keeps you grounded. 
I mean, in television, when I was doing television, some of the producers I worked with used to say, you know, we're in the business of turning nice people into assholes. <laughs> and if you think, you know, a lot of the talent on TV, for whatever reason, turn into crazy people. It's crazy time in, in many ways. There's less crazy time in online video, but there's still some people who are, you know, can go down that crazy path. Do you think that's potentially going to change in the future? Like the, like a lot of the, the mega creators, they started in this time. There was no, there was no roadmap. There was... There's no such thing as like a, an online celebrity or you know like a creator with their own fan base. Do you think now like people like people are coming onto these online video platforms, maybe like already seeing that and be like, well, that's what I want to be, and that's the driving motivation. Do you think there's you, you see a change coming or? Yeah, I I think it certainly is not the wild west. It's certainly not like you're gonna go. I'm gonna start a YouTube channel and everybody looks at you like, what? You must be crazy. What the heck is YouTube? But I, there's still that pure essence of I just want to create and communicate with people. And if I have 1,000 people that watch or 10,000 or a million, that's great. But I want to create because I am a creator. I have that inner drive to create and communicate and connect around the things that I'm passionate about. That's not going away. But what we see are people that want to get into it to be famous. Mm. And they fall more into that influencer camp. So you think about, you know, oh, I'm an influencer. I'm going to get big money from brands and lots of people are going to love me and I'm going to post pictures of myself and I'm going to go out to restaurants and ask them to give me free meals. And if they don't, I'm going to give them bad reviews or I'm going to go out to resorts and say they have to put me up for free. Otherwise, I'll write a bad review about them. I mean, that sort of, that, that sort of you know, commercial crap um, I don't think is going to go away. But um, I think that, to your point, is what we're already seeing in how it's changing. Because you see more people who are more, you know, who are focused on just gaming the system rather than creating because they have that inner drive to create. Do you think audiences will be as accepting of that type of creator and content or influencer? I think they already are, right? Look at the Kardashians and, <laughs> you know, the Jenners and stuff like that. It's, you know, I... I do think that there it's, you know, it's that whole sort of, it's not good for you, but it's empty calories, but boy, I love looking at those Instagram pictures. And, and that's, that's an interesting point. I mean, you talk about the influencers who want to get into it just for money, um, where something like Insta is a platform where you can just be good looking and do very well without much else. But I'm struggling like with that. I, don't, I'm a, I should be. I should be king. What? Yeah. There are filters for that. <laughs> but then you look at like YouTube, where I think the audience wants something more. Do you think that's right? That they actually want something more from the from from the creator? I think there's a there's a continuum there as well. I mean, take a look at YouTube creators who are just in it because they want to create noise. Like who? Can you give us an example. Ooh. I think all you need to do is go look at uh, who's fighting with who on tube filter today or <laughs> right, you know, who's yeah. doing this or that. Fair enough. Um, no, there, look, there's, there are definitely, I mean, and I think you're going to see that everywhere. There's a, look, there's a, there's a distribution. I don't know if it's a bell curve or whatever, but there is definitely a bell curve. There's definitely a distribution type, um, a statistical distribution could be a binomial distribution, could be a bell curve, could be a variety of things, could be a Poisson distribution. I don't know. But on one side, you have super amazing creators who just want to do it to create and build great audiences. In the middle, you have people like they do it, but they also want to do it because, hey, they'd like to have a living and be great and like to make money. And they do some things because they realize that it's good for them to potentially make money doing that, whereas it might not be good to practice their craft. Then on the other end of that, that distribution spectrum, you have bad actors who just want to get into it because, mm. you know, they just want to make noise and, and, and make money. Do you think that there's obviously a more chance of success if they go in it for the right reasons, for own passion, love, wanting to do something great? I think there's, uh, yeah, sustainable success, absolutely. Um, and I think, I do think that over time brands are realizing that the sort of, you know, the sort of artificial sweetener of influencers really doesn't do that much for you. Mm. And the benefits that you get are just not as good as working with passionate people that relate to your brand and that are similar to what you want to do and share your brand values and that you can partner with longer to over longer term. Um, but we'll see. Before we move on from this topic, do you have, is there a filter that you, you guys use at VidCon then when you're looking at creators and influencers or is it all relevant within the, 
Look, yeah, there are a couple of filters that we use. I mean, first of all, we're a very family friendly space, so we don't, um, you know, we don't have people who are who violate that. Um, so, you know, we don't even like, you know, even on our sponsor side, there are people like we don't have alcohol sponsors, and because mm. it's a it's a kid zone, it's a kid friendly zone, family friendly zone. We're very diverse oriented, so we very fo- very much focus on both um, um, racial diversity as well as sexual orientation, and making sure that we're reflecting our audience mm. uh, and the makeup of our audience is very important as well. That's actually super interesting. When we were at VidCon in Melbourne last year, we noticed that they had not just male and female toilets, but no gender assigned yeah. toilets as well. Like you actually change, you actually put signs on the doors for that. I thought it was really non-binary. Exactly, non-binary. Yeah. Yeah. It, was, it was really progressive. I was like, wow, that's that's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And so those are really important to us. Yeah. And, and so the way that we select creators, you put a couple of those filters in where, you know, there's obviously going to be headliners who are going to drive attention and interest and people are going to want to see. And so you take a look and who are those folks and does it make sense for them to come and do they want to come and can you work out the details and what will they do and da da da. And then we then look at the types of content we want to do, whether it's, you know, we're going to do classes on um, sound design this year. So let's find some creators who are really good at sound design and bring mm-hmm. them in. Or, you know, we're going to focus very much on what it's like to come of age on the internet and come of age on YouTube. Let's get some creators that have done that that may not be, you know, they're not going to sell a million tickets. We don't sell a million tickets, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, but they are going to provide a great conversation and a great insight for the audience that comes together. So it is really this mix of who are some of the top creators we know we just want to have there and that fit some of those you know, some of those things that I talked about before, but then also who's going to, who's going to fit the topics we want to talk about. Mm. So like, for example, when we're doing the, um, we called the Dodo pet zone uh, in Anaheim this year, there were certainly some very famous pets that we wanted to get there. You know, Manny, the Frenchie and Nala cat and a couple <laughs> of others, but, um, the Dodo has a great series about pit bulls called pity nation. And, uh, we're like, let's do something on that because we know that, that people are passionate about that mm. and they're not necessarily the biggest creators in the, in the animal space, but they do serve that niche and they're really interesting. And then, you know, so have some up and comers and we have social good. And so all those things in the microcosm of that, you know, pet zone kind of is similar to how we do the entire event. And I think it's time to take a quick break. Yeah, good call. Creative Generation isn't just this podcast, right, Fred? That's right. And uh, we've also developed an app to go along with it. And the reason for that is that we wanted to bring the creators all around the world together in a global community. So get on the app. You can talk to other creators around the world. And you can also get a bunch of extra content to make you a better creator. Definitely. And funnily enough, it is called... Creator Generation. Very, very original. And it's available for iPhone on the App Store and Google Play for Android phones, which is awesome. Indeed. Um, actually, before we... T- I want to talk a little bit more about VidCon, but first I just want to go back to one thing. I asked you, um, you know, what's it like working with the top creators? But is there a trait that a lot of the top creators have generally, whether it's to be professionalism or the way they work or anything like that? What I've seen, and, and, you know, in my days at Revision 3, we worked with a bunch of top creators as well. Um, the ones that I've worked with that, um, and I don't know if this is everybody, but that they, they realize that their audience is the reason that they exist. Mm. And even if they've got, you know, 10 million subscribers, they still want to connect with their audience in that one-on-one way, and they still are open to it. So, for example, you know, I used to work with Phil DeFranco. Mm. And, you know, OG, but he's huge and still is. Phil would walk down the street. Someone would come up to him. He'd be in a restaurant. He wouldn't be like, oh, go away. This is my private time. He'd be like, he would sit down and actually have a conversation and talk. And really, and that one-on-one experience, so important to him and so important to the creators that really get this space, that they don't lose that. Mm. They don't lose that sense of, I need to do what's right for my community, for my fans, for my audience. Because without them, I would be nothing. In traditional media, it was all about gatekeepers, right? You got a, you know, you got an acting part on a show or a movie because <clears throat> some gatekeeper, some producer somewhere in L.A. or Bollywood or somewhere else said, you are going to be a star. <laughs> That's not how it works in online video. In online video, it's I made myself that way mm. by having that great relationship with my community. And those are the ones that, and that, that I see, even the ones that are on top still have that direct connection to their audience and value it and realize that without that, they'd have nothing. There's that 
idea of openness, right? That idea of um, that honest and frank communication, uh, which people love, whether it's good or bad, is is just open. Open, and also they, we're creating this thing together. We're yeah. in it together. Yeah. And I think that to me is really interesting. Um, you know, like Liza Koshy, for example, um, I forget it was last year or the year before. She didn't want to do like a traditional interview. It's like, let's play headband with my fans. <laughs> so we invited some of the fans up on stage, and they, you know, did a little headband thing, and they, they actually, and it was amazingly That's good. Awesome. Because she realized she just want to interact with her fans and, and and make that happen versus I just want to do the boring interview where you sit and watch and I talk. Yeah, that's why the energy at VidCon's so good, right? Because everyone there is so genuinely excited and attached to who they're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and the creators are excited about interacting with their audience. Yeah. I mean, the bigger you get, the harder it is to interact with your audience, right? I mean, it is hard for somebody to go and walk down the street or go somewhere and have like 5,000 people. I don't know if you saw... Was it Casey Neistat did that thing recently where they had a pop-up shop with, who was it, with David Dobrik? Yeah, yeah. Dobrik, yeah. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there were 5,000 or 7,000 or 10,000 people there, but there were a lot of people there. And and that's tough yeah. um, because you want to have a one-on-one sort of relationship with all of the all of your fans. And your fans think they have a one-on-one relationship with you. It's the power of that medium where you hold them in your hand to watch them. It's very intimate. Um but how do you create an environment where you can still connect with your audience in a one-on-one place? And that's one thing we do at VidCon really well is we have a lot of great stuff in place so that the creators don't get overwhelmed, um, you know, crushed by love, <laughs> but also so that they can have those moments with their fans, maybe not all of them, but enough of them to feel like that there's that connection is there and they're listening to them and they're building things together. I think um, David Dobrik would have sold a lot of merch with yeah. It was a merch pop-up store, yeah. I think. So yeah, exactly. 10,000 people descending. I know, I know. <laughs> That's a good collaboration with Casey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, we've we've been to all ones in Australia here. We're going to the one in the US this year. Um, it's, a, it's a great event. We've met tons of people there. Um, and it's it really is a celebration of what, you know, YouTube and all the online videos are all about. Um and what's 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 coming up with VidCon? Like, what's the next thing with VidCon? Well, so the next thing for VidCon is taking it um, various different places. I mean, we're in Australia. We're, we did London this year for the first time. Um, chances are there'll be more from there. But it's continuing to evolve as online video evolves. So as we've gone from mass to these more, you know, verticals, uh, for want of a better word, you'll see VidCon do more of that. So focusing on animators and focusing on pets and focusing on DIY and focusing on a number of these things along with the big stuff. Um, but I think, uh, and then platforms as well. So five years ago, we were a YouTube show. Now every platform is there. And you'll see that when you come to Anaheim and we've got TikTok, LinkedIn, Pinterest, um, Instagram, Facebook, Snap, YouTube, Twitch, I'm sure I'm forgetting somebody, but execs from all of them will be coming in and experts that will help you figure out how to build on all those platforms who aren't aligned with the platforms will be there as well. Mm. So um, as more platforms proliferate, as more types of content proliferate, we'll continue to do that and we'll continue to celebrate the connections. This what doesn't change. We're going to celebrate the connections between creators and the communities and the fans and the audiences that love them. Mm. And by that extension really love each other because if you're a fan of David Dobrik and I'm a fan of David Dobrik, we've immediately got something in common. So, um, Fred's got a question. Yeah. A question back when we were talking about creators. So, um, (laughs) one thing uh, I'd also want to ask the top creators, sometimes people look at their content and it's deceptively simple, right? You look at, um, you might think Casey Neistat, just a vlogger. You might think John who does primitive technology, you know, he just goes out in the bush and makes, primitive technology stuff but there's such a level of genius with some of those creators and thought that goes into it i mean we were talking to john from primitive technology and the thought pattern behind his videos and how he does it and the mythology and how well he thinks through his videos is so crazy i mean you know he doesn't talk in his videos right but if you look at the translation he's got like 10 different languages to explain what he's doing at the bottom because he knows all those different audiences want to understand what's happening and you look at casey nice that the way he programs all his videos and you know, the things around what he does with product and, you know, how he plans all that. It, it's so interesting. It's, it, it, what do you think about that level of creator and what, where they're going to now? Well, the great thing about the internet in general, by the way, is that 
you know, we realize that creativity is evenly distributed around the world and that you don't have to be in certain places or go to certain schools to be creative uh, and to create great stuff and create new formats. I think it's great to see all these new formats and new ways that people are connecting. I mean, look at, like, you look at the stuff that Casey does or the stuff that, and, you know, a lot of the stuff, like, they would never see that on television. It's just not going to work. It doesn't mm. fit the television formats. Mm. But it works online because you can try and experiment with many different things. Now, as we start to see new media start to be created, whether it's through VR, AR, other sorts of ways that people can connect to audiences and new platforms, I think we're just going to see even uh, an explosion of even greater stuff. And, you know, Matt Gillen, who comes talk, talks at uh, VidCon, um, has been talking recently about sort of the 18 formats or whatever mm. that work in online video. I think he's right at some level that there are some standard formats that work. But then there's format mashups, right? Mm. So look at the, you know, the interview format on YouTube never really worked. Until you started, until somebody got the brilliant idea of taking a challenge video and an interview video and mashing them up <laughs> into the Hot Wings Challenge, right? Mm. And now that's an amazing interview show where it's like you interview them and then they eat hot. I mean, I'm surprised. All we have is cookies here. <laughs> you know, it's a good thing we don't have Hot Wings because I wouldn't have eaten any of them. But that's like a really, really, you know, those sort of mashups are really fun. But then create new stuff as well. It's just, the level of creativity, the explosion of what people do and uh, it's just, it's amazing. And it's great that the people who, not everybody, but that people who really are serious about their craft and serious about being creative and serious about trying new things, a lot of them have risen to the top. Yeah. Matt, Matt actually made a video mentioning that, like, we don't need another tech review YouTube channel. Like, if you want to do a straight tech review YouTube channel, like, there's already probably millions of them. Mm. But if you want to do a tech review channel that brings in a new format, like a listicle or something else, and mash up your new format, then... Yeah, and, you know, add other value in there, then maybe, you know, that's where your, your, your chance to rise up and succeed is. That value, though, so it's so incremental now. Like, you can create a, a tech review channel and just add the smallest, most, in, like, littlest interesting thing, and it can actually change completely, and mm -hmm. people will be like, oh, that's different, and I'm going to watch that. It's strange, right? You don't yeah. have to have major, major change, but the innovation has to be there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, look, that, and as somebody who... You know, early in my career, I did some of the first tech reviews, tech video reviews. I mean, it was on television before the internet. Internet video was a thing, and it was just showing it off and doing it and, and explaining it. Um, but that's the standard. You know, we don't need. And then unboxing. I remember when unboxings came out. So people were like, "Unbox? Why would anybody care about unboxing gear?" I'm like, "Unboxing gear is so cool," and that became a new thing. But what is that new thing? That's so you know. It's, you know, there's a a, way, a bunch of different ways you can take tech products and explore them. And, you know, the point of like, you know, the teardown, like let's take it apart yeah. or um, let's give it to cows and see if they can use it. Or um, I'm not sure anyone's doing that, but it could be a really fun <laughs> format or guinea pigs. Let's give guinea pigs. Yeah. yeah let's let's give um, let's give a uh, um, let's give a smartwatch to a guinea pig and see what happens. That could be really interesting. Yeah, I mean, who would have thought, like, uh, I can't remember the name of the channel, the one in Korea where they just live stream themselves sitting there eating eating their dinner. Yeah. Uh, and it's blown up because there's so many other people that that connect and they sit and have dinner by themselves so they can sit and have dinner with, with somebody with else. Somebody right? else. Yeah. And it's also, like, um, so bombarded with content that then still using, like, you know, the online con like online video to then almost have a meditative experience where like someone's just quietly eating noodles with you like well you, and there's like and then think about technology thing. as it advances as, as we get more um higher density of pixels and we get more bandwidth and we get screens that are that can become more invisible so that you actually can eat dinner with somebody and not even have them be there and so it, it is that experience of like okay now i'm eating dinner and i've got ten thousand people are all eating dinner with me mm. Um, in that one to many, or maybe we're all eating dinner together. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's just there's tons of interesting things mm -hmm. that we're going to be able to do as technology takes the this, this screen away from the screen mm -hmm. and the bandwidth gets higher and the pixel density gets enough so that it's indistinguishable from reality. What do you, <laughs> what do you think the next big jump is in, in video and online video? What do you think the next big thing is going to be? Um, I think... Look, I think VR and AR have been crushed down a little bit, but they're coming back. And the way you can tell stories in that immersive way are really interesting. I think there's the telepresence is really interesting. A lot of the ways that we create virtual characters and we do think, you know, the deep fakes are a huge deal. And we'll be covering that at VidCon US and Australia. But the fact that you can create these characters that didn't exist before or bring back characters from the dead 
you know, Frank Zappa's on tour right now, and he's been dead for 30 years, <laughs> uh, is really, really interesting. It's creepy as I'll get, but it's really interesting. Um, and then, you know, something like, uh, sorry, there's a lot of them. Like, it's hard for me to pick one. Uh, and then you look at AI and the ability for AI not only to have computer-driven ways to curate, it's something like TikTok where it just shoves video at you regardless of the creators and you just consume and it gets to know you better until it's like a dopamine drip into your brain when you're watching TikTok. <laughs> that cha- that'll change creator culture in many ways. But um, uh, auto-generation of video where you could just go out and shoot a bunch of video and shove it into your computer and say, computer, make a story. And we're not there yet, but we're getting where you can do like rough cuts and things like that where the computer can help you with it. Uh, and then... A lot of the bandwidth stuff, we talk about fixed screens, but um, as 5G starts to roll out, where it's not only this amazingly fast bandwidth to our mobile devices, but it's also the reduction in latency so that when you want something, you can get it immediately. Those bits start coming from the video you might want to watch or that real-time experience where you can actually be anywhere with your mobile device and have a real-time feed and share it without lag and without latency. There's all sorts of interesting things that are going to change online video as that technology develops as well. How it's going to do it? I don't know. Your students are the ones that are going to figure it out. They're they're the ones that have been living it. But Laurie, the eyes down a little bit for like emerging creators because we you know we spend a ton of time helping emerging creators as well as, as top ones. But what if you're an emerging creator now? You're like you you on your on the journey, you're creating content. What should they be focusing on now, immediate and maybe short term future? Do you think? I think focus on the platforms that fit what you want to do. There's so many of them out there now. And you have an opportunity to, if it doesn't work on YouTube, there are other ones that are more of a greenfield. I mean, Pinterest is, is ramping up its video game mm. and um, not video games, it's video game. <laughs> and if you make videos that are more, um, you know, DIY or more around things you can do or things you can buy or home oriented, uh, uh, that could be a great place for you. Um, if you like doing 15-second short videos and those sort of boomerangs and things like that, TikTok could be a great place for you. Um, so that's one. And two, find people like you and connect with them and do things together. You don't want to go – you don't want to be somebody who's got a 1,000 subscribers going out to someone with a million. That doesn't work. But find people like you, do similar things, and do stuff together and help each other grow. That hasn't changed. Keep okay. doing that. And then keep your eye on the new technologies and always figure out what's out there because if you're the first one – or among the first people to take advantage of some of these new storytelling techniques and, and, and technologies in ways that nobody else has done before, that's another great way to break through. So think about what those breakthrough points are for you. Is it a new platform? Is it a new technology? Are you doing things in a different way? Is there a new format you've developed? Um, is there a new way to sell things that you've come up with? Jim? <clears throat> We've reached out to uh, a bunch of creators and a bunch of creators have got in touch with us with um, questions for you. None of them are too scary. That's all right. If they're scary, I'm just going to run away and hide. Um, With my guinea pigs. (laughs) Cuddle in the corner. Cuddle in the corner with a guinea pig. Or look up interesting recipes. (laughs) Not going to eat a guinea pig. Uh, um, All right. First one, I reckon uh, Darren from Darren Levy Official, which is – AKA funny Uber rides. He's a There's a format. Yeah, it's killer. Awesome. This is what he wrote. So I love that rather than distancing yourselves from Tanamango, Jim's team have taken a more progressive approach and remedy VidCon's relationship with her. So there's probably a question in that. But as social media matures and the reach of influencers is becoming more widely understood by brands, do you think brands are going to be more open to working with uh, more controversial creators? And I guess one is if people don't maybe Tanacon well, if people don't know what Tanacon was, well, yeah. So look, the 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 short thing on Tana was that, um, you know, she felt excluded from VidCon, um, and created uh, tried to create her own event that um, would appeal to other, you know, to her fans and and other creators that may have felt excluded as well. Um, didn't necessarily work out the way she wanted it to, um, but I think in in any situation, when people criticize you as an organization, as a company, or whatever you're doing, wherever you are. Um, and in whatever manner they do, there's probably some truth in there somewhere. And so what we as an organization, you know, continually do is, you know, when people are, are critical of us, we're like, okay, what are we doing wrong? And maybe it's nothing, but maybe there are things that we could do better. And so, and, and so the Tana thing is a perfect example of that, of where 
we're all about inclusivity. We're all about, you know, we believe that we're all about, you know, an open tent for everybody and making sure that everybody's included. But as the number of creators out there, I mean, there's 10,000 creators with over a million followers right now, uh, subscribers on YouTube, and you can't invite them all. Um, but we, you know, we want to make sure that that inclusivity is something. And we've made changes to make sure that everybody feels included. And part of the Tana thing is just making sure that she felt like she was included and that her fans and her audience were included as well. Um, and so that's, to me, that inclusivity is part of what the core of VidCon is. And so I'm so glad that she was open to it and we were open to it and we made it work. I think on the brand level, again, your brands need to take a look at who aligns with their principles, who aligns with their brand, who does things that relate to what they do. So, um, you know, I, I don't know, I call it like a bad boy creator. If you're a bad boy brand, connecting up with bad boy creators makes a ton of sense. I mean, look at WWE, right? I mean, that's the world wrestling folks. There's a lot of bad boy wrestlers in there, but that's part of their brand. Mm. And that works for them. So there are a lot of brands out there. There are a lot of creators out there. And there are connections that can be made across many different ones. Another one's from Phoebe and Matt from Little Grey Box. I think you might have met them. They're a uh, travel channel. Yep. I'm going to paraphrase Phoebe's question because it's quite long. But basically, there's a lot of uh, most a lot of creators have to deal with a lot of hate. Um and bullying, negativity, and sexual harassment. And there's a lot of tools and, and things like that, you know, with being able to moderate comments and, and things like that. But um, do you think something needs to be done to be managed at a greater scale, or, or is there any advice for creators if that's not the case? It's really tough um, because there's a lot of the, – the internet creates anonymity, and there are people who can become really out there when that anonymity is there. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's hard to say, yes, you could apply machine learning and AI techniques to sort of weed it out, which we're already doing. You can turn comments off, which I don't think is a good idea because you want that community to connect, um, because it's part of what makes this so wonderful. Also so terrible sometimes. Um, I think blocking tools help. I think you put yourself out there and there's always that risk. I mean, even the days of television, when I did television, I, you know, used to get lots of stuff, lots of negative stuff. And, um, I, I don't, I hope that our platforms are better. I hope the technology gets better to do it. Um, it is an awful thing, but sometimes, but it, it is a little bit of a risk of putting yourself out there and it's hard to say, ignore it because you can't ignore it. But I really hope that the platforms work better to remove that negativity and to ban people. And I wish that the internet was not built on this layer of anonymity. I wish that you could, on the internet, you could, you know, we knew who you were. Now, there are other times when I wish you didn't. That's a long, it's got to go on this topic forever. <laughs> because there's, there are benefits and there are times when you want to be anonymous. And that's a good thing. Um, I, don't know, I don't have a good answer. Fair. We've got another one from Phoebe and Matt from Little Grey Box. What's the best advice you've ever received? In life? <laughs> oh, it doesn't matter. Like, Phoebe's just, I'm going with Phoebe's person. I thought it was, I, I, you know, there's that trite thing of follow what you love and the money will follow. I don't really think that's true. But um, in some cases it is, some cases it is. But I think it's more, for me, it's like, if you're passionate about something, give it a try. If it doesn't work out, be honest with yourself and do something else. But don't not do something that you're passionate about because you're afraid of failure. That is good advice. Is that your advice or someone gave you that? I mean, no, I got, I got that advice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah I like but it. then I lived it. So, yeah. So it I mean, works. Not 100%, but nobody does it 100%. So far, <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting with you guys in Australia, so something's going right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll take that. Um, this one's from Dolan from Planet Dolan. What's the one thing in VidCon US that you'd want to bring to VidCon Australia? Celebrity <laughs> pets. No, I don't know. Um, what's the one thing I want to bring? I just... Everything. Like you think about like VidCon US has this great energy and we're building that in Australia. We're not there yet, but we're getting there. So I just want to see, I want that great energy to to really permeate what we do in Australia. And it is doing that. But I also, we have a lot of support from brands and, uh, and marketers and agencies. And because I really see the power of online video and the power of the creators and creator culture we're not there yet in Australia. And so that's one of the things that 
we're working really hard to do and to open people's eyes. That's part of the reason why I'm here four months before VidCon Australia to do things like talk to you guys and go speak at Mumbrella, which I'm doing next week, and to try and get people in the business world to understand that this is the future of media. It is not changing, and that if you want to figure out where it's going, you have to go to VidCon. So we're still working on bringing that to VidCon here in Australia. Sweet. All right, this one's from Mars, from a channel, like an animation channel, mm. The Amazing. I don't know if you know Mars, but very funny. But um, do you think animation content is on a resurgence on YouTube? Uh, yeah. And Yeah, well, first of all, the first answer is absolutely. And to the point where it is one of the key sort of verticals that we do, and we see huge, huge response to this. Um, and, I mean, animation is another one that I think – you can vlog and animate, which is we, we're seeing big benefits from. But as technology and gets better, I'm hoping that for animators, they'll be able to do more, create more content with less, you know, the painstaking little details. And I don't know if that's possible or not because I'm not an animator. But um, yeah, I think animation's huge, and I think it's just growing in leaps and bounds. It really surprised us two years ago at VidCon. When all of a sudden we brought some of the early animators in and, and uh, put them in rooms and, and there were lines outside and not everyone could get in to see them. We were like, oh, my God, there's something here. This is really happening. Do you, like, is it surprising to see things in the physical world switch over from like the online space? And do you, you know, you just mentioned that one. Do you, are you always like I see the numbers when you watch a video of a creator and then you go to VidCon and you see the people lining up to see that creator and – that for me is just like mind blown. Like that's when you go, holy, holy hell, look at all these people. Um, even though you see like a million views, hundreds of thousands of subscribers, do you see, like, do you experience that a lot? Yeah. And, still- and I, yeah. And I think also it's, um, I mean, it's great when you see it, but it's also when you're surprised by it because views and subscribers and likes and comments and shares and all those data points, they tell you something, but they don't tell you about that passion. Mm. Because if you have 100,000 subscribers and all of them are so passionate that they'll get in a car and drive across the country to go see you, that's very different of having 10 million subscribers, but no one's going to lift a finger unless you're like in, around the corner. Mm. It's hard to measure that. Yep. So, and it's an imperfect thing that we do when we bring, you know, in the U.S., 350 of the top creators we're still surprised by some that we bring that we're like, oh, it's going to be great. And they're like, the reaction's amazing. And then other people are like, oh, this person's huge. And we put it on the reaction's not as huge as we thought it would be. That's very interesting. Cool. Uh, I've got one more. One more. One more. This one's from Andrew from Blender Guru. It's a bit, a bit different question, but it's like, do you know if casually presented videos result in higher engagement? Because he keeps seeing really high production content tank. I think he's probably speaking from a personal experience as well as, you know, seeing out there what's on there. I think you have to look at the audience and the community you're building and how you connect with that audience. And production values can help you connect in some ways. I mean, you're doing something super fun and interesting and it's wild and out there. Um, but again, it, it, it all comes down to the relationship between the creator and the audience. And I think casual videos where you're talking directly to someone like their friend that is so powerful and something that you could not do with video on tr- more traditional means. So yeah. And, and people dump all this money into creating this like narratives and, and stuff like that. It just doesn't work because you don't have that connection. It's a social medium. There's a social connection and not everything has to be that way, but you know, that is the value of what the platform brings is that connection. And if you can talk to that and take advantage of it, that can be really, really powerful. I think that's what he's seeing, what you're seeing. Cool. Do you think TV or traditional media is ever going to be able to do that? I think it's a continuum now, but I think television as we know it, which is, you know, streamed to the big screen with no back channel connectivity is going away. So more and more we're seeing, I used to think that if you have all your television streamed to all your devices and all your video, when you're home, you would go to the best screen in the house, right? Because it's on the big screen. But no, what people are doing, and you know, the younger you are, the more likely you're doing this, is it's the most convenient screen. So you see people streaming you know, television stations on their mobile device at home sitting in front of a big screen TV just because it's convenient. <laughs> but once you do that, once you've got that on that mobile device, then you can stop it. You can do other things. You now have an instant back channel. So television is changing. 
And, you know, when you look at television advertising, it, you know, the 30-second TV spots were all about branding. They were about what's called top of the funnel. We want to make you aware of our guinea pig sticker. We're not going to sell it to you. We just want to make you aware of the fact that guinea pig stickers exist by running TV ads that hit you five times a day. Well, now, if you're watching that on your mobile device, you're like, oh, there's a guinea pig sticker. Boom. You can pause it. You can go to guineapigsticker.com and buy one and then go back and watch Game of Thrones again. And so that's a very different thing. So it's already changing television. It's going to change it even more. That's it. That's all I got. I got more, but it's like, we'll be We're here. We'll find out where that guinea pig sticker came from. I'm going to stop making them. <laughs> um, Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, very interesting. Some very interesting stuff. We had so many more questions, but I think we'll have to <laughs> follow up with that next time. Yeah, well, thank you guys for having me here. It's great. You guys are awesome. You do great things for the community. And um, when I'm back, let's do it again. And we'll be back in the end of September for VidCon Australia. So um, looking forward to it. Awesome. awesome. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, sure. Jim. Thanks. Jim, what can we say? So enthusiastic, so energetic, and so passionate about the space. Yeah, we... Jim pretty much knows it all. He does indeed. <laughs> if you have any questions for Jim or for us, let us know through our socials or through the Creator Generation app. But until next week, bye. See ya. <laughs>